things you own end up owning you. Yippee good people. Today's podcast guest is Emma Zgarakis. Emma is a certified nutritionist based in Melbourne. Emma has been involved in health and wellness for many years, and as soon as we started talking, it was obvious that she's well-rounded and has been there and done that with many things. Uh, we talk a lot about nutrition and how to guide yourself in this uh, ever-confusing world to what's right for you. Uh, I spaced at the end and forgot to ask Emma to let us know how to reach out to her, but uh, you can do that via her website, thenutritioncoach.com.au. Uh, Emma was a pleasure to chat with, and uh, I hope you enjoyed this one. So, have you always been um, involved in like nutrition and health and wellness and stuff like that? Yeah, since way back. Um, I don't know if you want me to go through my whole story. When yeah, I... definitely. <laughs> yeah, are you recording now? Yeah. <laughs> are you <laughs> yeah, definitely. I have been. Um, gosh, I think I've picked up my first book about nutrition when I was nine. Been a little bit obsessed on the topic, but then I. Study nutrition at university. I also started studying Chinese medicine. Um, I'm also a Pilates instructor. I found that the physical side of things interesting as well. But um, yeah. it took me probably 20 years in practice to get to the place I am now. Mm-hmm. You know, about 10 years ago, I'd been practicing a certain way, you know, the way we were taught. Right. Um, and then took a bit of a turn when, yeah, I sort of hit a wall myself, I think. You and know, wh- where did it start for you? Where did it start for you? So you're saying you picked up a nutrition book and then what was the, did you go into like a, you know, vegetarian diet or something like that or uh, Pilates well, stuff? Being they done it all, I think. Um, played with versions of vegetarianism, macrobiotics, um, kind of cleansing, whatever you want to call that, versions uh, of paleo, uh, vegan, juicing, yeah. Oh, you've done it all. all. You've done it all. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, sort of, I think I wanted to be my own guinea pig or kind of my own scientist in it all. And I figured if, if I'm going to be a professional in this and expect, you know, um, people to pay me money for my advice, then who am I to tell them what to eat if I don't feel the benefits myself personally and if I haven't seen the benefits of my clients. So I just kind of keep trying everything until I found a way of eating that I found personally worked for me and that, um, that I was getting great results from with clients. Yeah, yeah. So did you did you go into when you went to college? Did you do like a nutrition degree or something like that, or kinesiology? Or Start, funnily enough, started out in the design industry. I'm mm-hmm. my family are you know, architects and designers and painters, and we're sort of always in being the creative realm. That's really um, cool. So I started doing fashion design and worked in the industry for a few years. But I found that I'd be in there in my work, but then I'd be going home at night pulling out books on nutrition. (laughs) (laughs) So it's always been like a passion of yours, huh? That was like my romance novel. That was the stuff that just fed me. And then it wasn't until, I don't know, one year, one day I was was there sucking one of my books, just it was feeding my soul. And I realized maybe I should be doing this for a living because the fashion (laughs) industry wasn't really feeding me. So then I went back to university, uh, started doing Chinese medicine. Okay. Acupuncture, Uh, stuff like that? Sorry? Like acupuncture and things like that? Yeah. So it was the first four-year degree in Melbourne, and into the first year they kept asking us, do you want to um, specialize in acupuncture or herbs? And that was the question that Uh you had to decide going forward. And I found with all the textbooks, I was always heading to the back end looking up the index to find the nutrition section because I just had this fascination with food. Uh And 
when that question came up, I felt like, oh, I don't think I'm going to specialize in either. I want to specialize in food. And there wasn't enough of that for me. It's not really a Chinese medicine thing. Yeah, it's either herbs or, or acupuncture. Well, now that now it's a little bit more well, well-rounded. They do like um, physician. Like, I don't know how it is in uh, Australia, but in California, you can be like a, you know, acupuncture physician kind of thing. And especially yeah, well, not yeah. Well, when it was the first degree, that was four years, and you come out as, as a doctor as such. Mm-hmm. Um, but even still, the the topic of nutrition was very much about congees or warming cools, foods, cooling foods, all of that, which yeah. is interesting, but it just wasn't enough for me. I wanted to, and I had a good conversation, I remember, with um, the lecturer at the time who I think he was, uh, you know, teaching us about pressure points and whatnot, which was amazing to learn about the body from that perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, But I said to him, I said, well, I just feel like though if I can learn the most about food and get someone's nutrition really, really right, if I have a fundamental deficiency in vitamin A, no amount of acupuncture is going to address that well yeah yeah that's that's kind of where the school split up right because in a lot of times in acupuncture in those worlds they don't even talk about stuff like that vitamins or you know your blood pressure or blood measuring they don't really do that they're all you know it's all about the winds and you, you probably studied some of that so all those things and that's amazing probably going back a few hundred years and there's a person living quite traditionally with a very nutrient-dense diet and they didn't have the stresses of this day and age and yeah. the crack foods um Perhaps those things are an awesome add-on, absolutely. But if you're talking about someone in a very stressed state or a very depleted mother who's hard, you know, who's under-eating, who has a history of restrictive diets, who is eating nutrient-devoid foods, I don't know. I, I just feel like those things are a bit of a perhaps a bit of a band-aid that aren't going to address the really deep yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. Where it's like it's sort of the same thing with like the whole paleo kind of world right where people always want to look at like oh what did hunter gatherers eat 1000 years ago and it's like hunter gatherers didn't have you know iPhones and Apple computers and Skype and all kinds of crap around right so it's like uh, is it really yeah it's like maybe it's a good base right to think about it you know like if things were in perfect order and everything was all right yeah this is this is what yeah that's the thing and when people talk about what paleolithic man ate I'm like well I don't know, I haven't met a caveman personally. <laughs> you know, like, it's all you say. And look, it's, I love the premise of that, but it's still, you know, relative to his lifestyle at that time. <laughs> he was probably out in the open air getting fresh air and, and full spectrum sunlight all day long and going yeah. to sleep when the sun And down. just even the lifestyle, yeah. right? Yeah, they're not driving um, around in cars and stressing out about their bosses fine. and all kinds of shit. This is it. And when you... Um, select the diet you're going to live by by way of the nice you know um storyline behind it it's like eh, is that really going to be the thing that's going to address you and your needs personally um and, and I think I learned the hard way that from here on don't choose how to eat by way of you know perhaps a book that is called the such and such diet mm-hmm, I mean mm-hmm. that it just has to be the Leo diet and the Emma diet you know that's yeah. that's going to be the thing that suits us and we've all got to learn more about our own personal physiology, our own level of damage of the things we've done to ourselves over the years um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and what our body works well with. And then, you know, the, the, the way I've gone down the last sort of nine or ten years has been relearning about physiology and learning to understand your own body and, and addressing its needs directly, mm-hmm. um, learning about your own personal cravings and what, what the body's trying to tell you, learning about 
the signs and symptoms that are your body screaming out for help on certain levels, how to address them directly, how to gauge your own temperature and pulse and kind of drive your metabolism strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we should all want to learn about our own personal bodies better. I, I, I really honestly think most people know more about their car and their car parts. Yeah. When we get service, <laughs> we invest some money to service our car and then the mechanic tells us, oh, I've replaced this and this is how this works. And like, okay, good, I got that. Whereas when you go to a doctor, he'll spend what, an average four minutes with you and just say, you need to take this. Yeah. And it's kind of like hands off. Yeah. Okay. I'll do what you say. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to get into it. I'm not going to ask the question. So tell me exactly how this is going to help me and just tell me what the potential side effects are and tell me what else I could do to address this before it even happens next time. There's, there's not enough conversation and my, look, my, my consultations are very long winded and I do, you know, Mm -hmm. diarrhea all over you, but I just really, really want to instill some knowledge in my clients so that going forward, they're not reliant on me, on on any other practitioner. They can be their own practitioner. They can just like start to see food from a whole different perspective. Because mm-hmm. um, I think when you've got the fundamentals and you've got some knowledge behind it, it's not about oh I'm eating this diet because I've just got to memorize that list and I've got to use willpower to abstain from this and that. It, sh- it shouldn't be that at all. It should just be oh I get it now and I can see how that food does serve me or doesn't serve me. Mm-hmm. And now I see that differently. And now I can drive things myself and I can um, observe the symptoms of when something's going down wrong and I've, okay, I've eaten the wrong thing, but how can I rectify things? You know, like... Yeah, you are, you are your own guide. Yeah, you're letting yourself be... Guide. Yeah, oh. yeah. So before you got there, though, <laughs> how was your, you know, how was your journey to go back? I mean, did oh you, gosh. did you, um, you told me you did all the crazy diets, um, you know, when you started initially, like... Uh, picking up the diet books and getting really deep into the nutrition things. I mean, what kind of diet were you following then? Um, okay, so all of them. Um, it, <laughs> so you were te- just kind of teetering, tottering back and forth between different diets. Okay. And I'll go gung-ho no matter what it may be. So okay. I was very, I was so, very good. I did what I was told. Um, well, probably, yeah, yeah, you probably were better than some of the other people that are super dogmatic that were like, you know, carnivore for three years or vegetarian yeah. for five years, you know, which is... Oh, yeah, I was pretty dogmatic. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, so you had your moments. Okay. <laughs> my, my teenage years, I probably did the vegetarian thing. And I remember at the time, my beautiful great grandmother being like, why are you not want to eat the lamb? You know, sort of thing. <laughs> like, I wish you'd shot me in the face. I'm going, what are you thinking? Yeah. Although it's hilarious if you've ever seen the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Of course, that is of actually, course. It's a that's actually a documentary. If you've grown up in a Greek household, that is, that is the truth. I remember seeing that with girlfriends at the time and they're laughing their heads off and they're just yeah. Anglo-Australians. And I felt ill going, but that is my uncle. And they honestly think a vegetarian can eat the lamb because the lamb eats yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm Russian, so like I said, so it's a uh, you know when my mom and I watch that movie, that's like a favorite of my mom's and I, and um, yeah, we laugh our asses off because it's I don't know if you know Russian and Greek cultures are very similar in many ways. You know, we also say opa. I mean, I don't know if we you got it from oh, us or we, you got it from we got it from you or you got it from us, but um, yeah, eating yeah. and partying and, and you being, love yeah, everybody's yeah. being in each other's business all the time, kind of thing. <laughs> and this, and you realize that you know they know how to feed well and eat well and live well and it's so important um mm-hmm. so many of these diets really you know ignore the importance of those things and the enjoyment of food absolutely but um mm-hmm. yes yeah, so veg- vegetarian through a lot of teenage years and then um a bit of a macrobiotic phase i think i felt my worst then yeah, with all the rough diet. Brain, yeah that's brain a rough diet and 
heavy um, and nut butters and oh, anyway, um, <laughs> sort of cringe thinking back, don't you? But I guess it's how you learn. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So you you were noticing things like that then, huh? So you have you know yeah. you, you, when you were going through these phases, you were kind of noticing this diet makes me feel like that, this diet makes me feel like that. Which yeah. I always tell like clients, you know, it's like if you want to try veganism or whatever, any diet. I mean, I think really people should try it because. At, but at least pay attention to it because if anything happens, the best thing you'll get out of it is that you'll learn something about your body well, and how you feel on this certain diet, you know, or when you take out a certain macronutrient or micronutrient Absolutely. or whatever. And that's the key thing, I think. I think if you get so stuck in it and you become blinded thinking, no, no, it's serving me. Mm-hmm. My body's hot, but no, my diet is great and you're delusional. Yeah, it's detox. Yeah, it's, it's coming out. And in two well, months, I'll, I'll be back to normal, right? And it's like, I don't oh, know. Okay. You know, you see a lot of girls losing their periods these days and, you know, all kinds but, of things. Well, I think the, the worst experiment I ever did, and this was probably more like, Mm, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago, um, but started reading into the the juicing, cleansing, fasting, raw, oh, my God, um, <laughs> that. That's a scary and at the word. Time, that's it. And I thought, well, I have to learn from the best of them. So I took myself off to New York to work with the so-called kind of experts in the field. Nice. A couple of have since died. Anyway, that's another story. Um, but <laughs> I, And I've always been very small-framed and weight loss wasn't something – I was needing or wanting, uh-huh. but I figured I want to be clean, of course, and I want to be alkaline and I want you know, all of that. So I <laughs> you know, threw myself into that experiment, um, but gosh, I noticed the the muscle wasting, the, the kind of nervy symptoms um, was not thriving yeah. whatsoever and started to see these gurus in a different light and noticing their pelvic bones kind of sticking out and, and all of this. And there, there was that talk of, well, you might – lose your period but that's a good thing because having a period is not a clean thing yeah. and women should have to have it and that's <laughs> you're dirty yeah. emma you're dirty <laughs> and, then I, and I, I thought no this is good i think that is necessary i think that's a healthy sign that you're fertile and well, i don't want to be fertile. probably <laughs> I remember coming back from that just going no this is not right and what really was a clincher for me i figured well if what they really base their diet on is vegetables being the be-all and end-all, the more green, the more leafy, that the better the food. Mm-hmm. And I was living predominantly on vegetables, mm-hmm. but I was not appearing to thrive. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were living at Sydney at the time, and I, I remember clear as day sitting on my laptop on the floor and I, I punched in the question, who defined what health food is, health food, and what, you know, how did vegetables become touted as health food because when you look at it with a critical eye, you know, like the black and white of it, mm-hmm. you, you break it down, you say, okay, what does, say, a leafy green bit of kale constitute? Like what's it made up of? Um, so the cells within that, um, the structure of the leaf, are, you know, the, the cell wall is made up of cellulose. Mm-hmm. If you look at cellulose, we do not make cellulase, the enzyme that breaks down cellulose. Mm-hmm. So you start to question, is it valid for a human being to eat a raw bit of right, kale. which is that fiber um, part where people, you know, you, you know, kind of. If you think about it, you you would think that you want more fiber because we're all, although we don't really know why we want more fiber, but we just kind of been told we need more fiber. Who knows? Yeah. But besides the point, you know, it's like you you start thinking, okay, so if that's fiber, then am I? You know, here's the question: like, are you absorbing all that food that's built into yeah. that fiber? And those generalized terms, they they do get thrown around. You say, like, oh, the more fiber, the better. So, but hang on a second, does it fit with what? we make and the enzymes that we create. Um, 
so that the cellulose thing doesn't make a lot of sense, which then makes you realize why our great-grandmothers would have cooked those veggies to death till they were just slop mm -hmm. because at least they're breaking down the structure mm -hmm. and you've got half a chance of accessing the nutrients, you know, within it. Um, so the, the cellulose thing was interesting. And then you realize that there are so many anti-nutrients, you know, enzyme inhibitors yeah. within these foods that, like, they're literally designed to inhibit digestion, you know, to, mm -hmm. like... Fight so you're digestion. saying that if I'm eating, you know, some raw chard, you know, yes, it has your uh, whatever magnesium, your some maybe B vitamins, I guess. Um, but I'm not really, you know, absorbing all of this. And there's also some anti nutrients there, right? That kind of slow the digestion yeah. down, and they're in yeah. there naturally, right? Limit your absorption of the nutrients in the food, and they're also going to bind to your own stores and deplete you. So mm -hmm. it's like a bit of a negative going on here. Mm -hmm. So the mass isn't working. Um, and then if you can a lot of the nutrients within these above ground kind of vegetables a lot of them aren't in a bioavailable form meaning they're ready to go ready to use for mm -hmm. example there's no vitamin a in vegetables but there's beta carotene and beta carotene still has to be processed in our livers and converted through a pretty delicate pathway into vitamin a mm -hmm. and if our livers are a bit impaired which most women i work with are um and you don't have you know the 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 elements to then facilitate those pathways, then you're yeah. just going to second. So it sounds like what you're trying to say is some, a lot of these vegetables are, it's a, it's almost like you're taking um, out more energy, you know, in order to use them and to digest them and to eat them than, than you, you're getting from yeah. them, you know. You're not getting much bang for your buck. Yeah. Do, do you yeah. think that, you know, do you think they're kind of touted as a health food? I mean, here's my, my theory on it is that I think, people who just eat a lot of veggies. Because if you're very healthy and you start eating only veggies and maybe some very lean protein, like you're definitely going to get lean. You're definitely going to get lean. You, you know, but, but here's the, right. The question is, yeah. The, the question is that, you know, like, is that the way to judge health, right? Because a lot of those same people will lose their period or will go through, you know, into depression or whatever, have all kinds of sim symptoms. This is, this is the whole problem because I think, the, of the current times, the most direct indicator of if your diet is working for you is other scales going down. And that's yeah. fundamentally what most people are looking for. They just go, well, if I'm losing weight, it's working for me, so I'll just go with it. They're not looking at all the other barometers of health, the main barometers of health. They're not looking at how's my sleep quality, how, how am I handling stress, am I getting a regular asymptomatic period, uh, is my hair not falling out, how's my skin quality, um, it, um, is my digestion asymptomatic? Like food just goes down, burns, you know, off it goes, out the other end. Is it yeah. coming out free? Like there are so many barometers to health. Yeah. It shouldn't yeah. be based on is it making me lose weight? Because yeah. as we said, yeah. cancer can make you lose weight. Stress can make you lose weight. Eating nothing can make you lose weight. So <laughs> Yeah, that's the, yeah. It's like. Lose weight when you eat no food. Sure, we can do that. We can lose weight fast. But it's not going to lead to an elevated metabolic rate. It's not going to lead to longevity necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's not going to lead to health. It's going to be to the detriment of your health. Yeah. Um, so there needs to be that bigger picture and other ways of judging, is this diet working for you? Yeah, that's a big problem for all of our times, especially in the social media, Instagram world kind of things, you know, because it's just like if so, you look good, you're obviously healthy. You, you obviously know what you're talking about, you know. And everything else. Yeah, but also, you know, also the, a lot of those people that look good, they're usually in their early 20s, you know, and then shit yeah. start falling apart when they're in their 40s, right. you know, and those things exactly. just don't work for them anymore. But yet they keep going with it. They keep going with it. And I don't know. Yeah, I feel bad for those people sometimes. This is it. And I, 
I think we have to be reminded of that, reminded of the importance of all those other things. And perhaps that person does need to put on a little bit of weight in order to heal for a time, you know, while they adjust. But oh, at the same time, start Emma, to- you're crazy. You want people to get oh, fat. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I'm not fat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I saw that, okay, sure, I'm losing weight, but I'm losing too much weight. And I'm not noticing, I'm not feeling good, I'm not menstruating, I'm not sleeping well, all of those things. And when I put out that question, well, hang on, how, how do we tout vegetables as the be all and end all when you look at, say, a good quality egg, you know, gently cooked and, and what it contains. And there is no anti-nutrients and it's mm-hmm. such high quality protein and you've got ready to go, bioavailable vitamin A, you've got vitamin D and you've got so many incredible B vitamins. I mean, it just it sort right. of makes and, sense. And, and, and you can be, you could probably have pretty bad digestion as is and you could try one and you, chances are you're probably going to feel great. Or, or I mean, you're not going to have any problems digesting that. Whereas, you know, I meet so many people like, and it usually is, is like the people that eat the most raw salads have the big, like the the weirdest, you know, digestion problems. They go to the bathroom, fit, like too much, you know what I mean? And they have diarrhea and all kinds of symptoms like that. So, well, the food that's been considered the most healthy of, of these last, what, 50, 70 years of health food eating, which really didn't happen before that. People just ate food. They just gathered. <laughs> yeah. which now, yeah. Food. Those foods, you think about nuts and seeds and leafy greens and granola and whatnot. I mean, they, they tend to be the most indigestible foods. Yeah. You know, the foods that they used to be kind of the famine foods. You could keep your grains and legumes, you know, they kept for long periods of time. They were backup foods if you couldn't hunt down the beast or gather the fruit or they're, they're backup, you know, right. they're handy to have around. But they, they shouldn't be the plan A, they're just the plan B. Right. right. Those plan B foods have become the best food. It's like, hang on, when did that slip <laughs> Yeah, we definitely need to go back to just, you know, just yeah. just eat normal food that sounds good because I, I, I do think your instinctive guide, right, it's like guides you to, you know, oh, the, the right yes. places. But people, but then the, the problem is that people will watch a documentary on Netflix like, um, yeah. what oh, is it, Game Changers, and it'll say like an egg is as bad as smoking five cigarettes. I mean, that's what they say. That's what they said, and yeah. I've seen this documentary. Well, and it's just... how was that study set up to come to that conclusion? <laughs> I don't, how, yeah. Um, I just, I, the more I learn, the more I analyze this topic, the simpler it kind of starts to get for me. Um, and, I, and I really think, I think the best analogy is, if you're confused about a certain food and you're wondering, does this make sense for me to eat it? Or this, would this be a good choice? Is if you could sit down right now with your great, great, great grandmother and have a cup of tea and have a conversation and you could say to her, Greg, what do you think about this nut milk? She would be like, are you getting your milk from a nut? Like, what are you? <laughs> Show me the teat. <laughs> Squeeze a nut. Like, what, you know, like, think if you could have that conversation, what she would say. And she'd probably nod and just go, I could tell you what to eat. Like, this. Yeah, it, it, it just sounds complicated, right? It's like all this all this processing you have to do to get this weird, liquidy, milky-looking substance out of this out of these nuts that you know, they, yeah, they don't even taste good. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, to go back, so you were you remember that clear day where you were sitting down and you googled um, who defines food. I was already starting to go question the whole thing, you know, the whole thing, the whole narrative. I'd been on that journey for 20 years or something. And then this article popped up by this biologist. I never heard his name before, Dr. Ray Pete. Uh-huh. And I started reading this article and the title was um, Who Defines Food um, and Vegetables or something. 
Um, I can shoot you a link to that article because it's well worth reading. And it's I, a great one. I remember seeing on the floor, I'm reading this article and it was like my head's filled with fireworks. And I went, <laughs> oh, my God, this is exactly what I'm thinking and this makes more sense than anything I learned at university, anything I learned from any expert guru, whatnot. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was exactly that. It was like, okay, take the dogma behind every, off everything. Take the the nice esoteric feel of that diet away or whatnot. Just look at the food for what it is. Analyze mm-hmm. it and go, does that make sense to our digestive tract? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, this article just summed it up to me. And then I set up through the night. I just started plowing through his articles. You can get all his articles on his site for free. And But, you know, they do, they get heavy at parts. You know, they do waffle off in his yeah, dense stuff yeah yeah, but yeah. It's, um you know stick with it reread them a dozen times i mean i listen to radio interviews of his just on repeat i don't listen to music i'm a bit of a nerd on that level but <laughs> hey, that's cool. ear, yeah but... that's what i do when i drive to podcasts all the time you know <laughs> so so nice. did, when you when you were um when you first discovered ray i mean did you have did you identify with any of those things he was talking about did you have any of those you know symptoms ray talks a lot about hypothyroidism and oh. things like that so to give myself you know i was in a very down-regulated hypothyroid state from insufficient proteins, insufficient calories, and salt. I mean, it's just all those things. I, mm-hmm. you know, read it going, that is what I'm absolutely. But I turn things around very quickly because I just, as I do, I just sort of go a bit gung-ho with Got what I find. Mm-hmm. It was coming from a place of this makes sense and I was kind of thinking this way but he just put it into beautiful mm-hmm. context. And Specifically, did you have any problems? Like were you doing, you know, I don't know, sleep? Stuff, or were you just saying just just the general kind of thing, you know, where you're... Yeah, I just saw myself kind of, you know, I think the, the thinning down of the muscle was a big thing, that that rapid weight loss where you see that your body's not just burning fat, but it's, it's eating into your muscle tissue and you realize this is, I'm not, I'm not renewing my proteins correctly and I'm not um, getting enough protein full stop, absolutely. And mm-hmm. to think you can get enough protein in a vegan diet, I, it's just you have to question it because you, the liver in itself just to work on a daily basis needs a hell of a lot of protein. Yeah. So yeah. the whole premise of doing a liver cleansing regime where you're just having vegetable juice, you go, hang on a second, you don't go in and cleanse your liver. Your liver is the cleanser. It's a factory <laughs> that detoxes. It's meant to clean the shit out from you know, the rest of your body, but in order for it to do it, it needs a hell of a lot of protein, mm-hmm. at least 90 grams for a small sedentary female. Mm-hmm. It needs a lot of sugars because your stored glycogen is your fuel to your liver and what keeps your blood sugar steady as well. It needs it needs a hell of a lot of energy and it needs it coming, you know, constantly mm-hmm. because your liver should be cleansing 24-7. It's not that... It's, kind of, it's like when someone goes off and does a liver cleansing retreat for a week of a yeah. year. <laughs> yeah, like cayenne, cayenne pepper and le- lemon lemon juice, I think that's the big one, right, for a liver oh, yeah. cleanse. <laughs> it's just this momentary thing and then it gets you through for the year. It's like, no, nah, it's, it's, it's a constant process. But your body, your cells, your, your, your liver requires that all day long. Your brain requires a hell of a lot of glucose to function its best. You... Um, to, in order to convert your inactive thyroid hormone, your T4, you, mm-hmm. you need a lot mm-hmm. of sugar in the liver to facilitate that conversion to T3. Otherwise, right. you're inactive, useless thyroid hormone. Yeah, um, physiology is not, you know, it's it's funny how, how much, how many fitness certificates are, are out there and how many nutrition degrees are out there. And, you know, I did it in college too. And it's like, 
the funny thing is that they don't really go into physiology that much. It's mostly oh. like, um, you know, eat whole grains, eat lean protein. Here's how to calculate calories. It's just like useless, useless shit that really nobody even does, you know, because I mean. And no one asks the question, oh, okay, so that sounds like the done thing. Or I need to have my eight glasses of water a day. And no one says, but who decided that? And what was that based off? And like dig further back, back, back. Yeah. It's just it's, yeah. it's just a given. Yeah. It's a rule and you don't question it. Um, it's uh, and this is what was so refreshing for me to find Dr. Repeat, Dr. Red Barnes, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. Those old guys who were so ahead of their time mm-hmm. is that they were scientists, biologists, endocrinologists first and foremost. They weren't nutritionists. Yeah. Um, I learned so much of my nutrition learning from nutritionists, and their focus is the food. How does it, is the food on the plate balanced? Is the macros balanced? Are the calories good? Is the food clean? Whatever that means. Um, let's make the food on that plate perfect and organic and whatnot and let's just chuck it in and hope for the best rather than the other way around. I love that with Dr. Pete, he's all about let's look at the cell. What is required for that cell to be energized? What is required for that pathway to be facilitated? And then let's see what foods fit with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And then it just by chance he figured out that, well, actually it makes sense why well, we need a hell of a lot of protein and cal- you know, calcium and whatnot. Um, and then it, you kind of go backwards as opposed to the food being the main focus, it's the body, yeah. right down to the level being the focus. And this is what was a miss even, even at university. And then in hindsight, I realized that you go into the science class and that kind of made sense because they talk about livers, for example, like fatty acids, and they'd go, there's your you know, polyunsaturated fatty acid and look how it's a bit skewed and a bit, you know, it's missing some hydrogen bonds and it's easily damaged to heat, light, light and oxygen and you've got that free radical potential and whatnot. And there's your saturated fatty acid, mm-hmm. which is nicely bound and structured and it's stable to heat, light and oxygen and <laughs> this all makes sense. Right. And then you store into the nutrition lecture and there was the, dare I say it, you know, puffy, <laughs> pasty, <laughs> sipping on herself. Um, saying, tell them not to touch animal fats because they're saturated yeah. and take your fish oil supplements and everyone needs fish oil. And you go, hang on, in that class they're telling us, you know, at the time you just do what you're told. But looking back I go, oh, my God, that class made one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, you know, the, it's sadly the, the nutrition um, – degrees in colleges they're just becoming more and more like just sort of propaganda for like corn soy and wheat um industries (laughs) you know because that now apparently again it's like you know where for the longest time everybody kind of knew soy and tofu is not very good quality digestible um protein and then recently within the last i mean now you you can find tons of studies that say it's great you really can you know that's where the vegans get get, yeah they're getting all that sort of thing from there but you know i mean you know, I don't know if you're on the fence, I guess, research it for yourself. But I mean, it's definitely not, it's definitely something new because for years they would talk about it. It's not a great well, source of protein. The foods that are so new, um, you know, you talk about vegetable oils and sunflower oil and safflower oil and all those oils. I mean, they really didn't exist before the Industrial Revolution, mm-hmm. before you mm-hmm. could turn all those massive crops of these seeds into this beautiful golden liquid. Um, <laughs> they were around. You know, look back. I love to find really old recipe books, like pre-1880, 
Yeah. There's a great there's a great YouTube channel. I don't know if you've seen the guy. I can't remember the name, but I can tell it to you later. Um, where the guy just cooks stuff. He has a book from like 1776 or something like that. Oh. You know, yeah, and he just cooks things for, uh, from that time period. And it's like one. I remember one was like you know he had like two eggs, and it was like a pound, a whole pound of butter. You know, and that was the scrambled eggs. You know, and that's how people ate back then. <laughs> well, this is it, and you'll find that a lot of those ingredients aren't even in those books because they went around then. I oh, mean, these yeah, yeah. are so new in our evolution and they're mm-hmm. very experimental really and you see the correlation with those oils kicking in and the cancers going up and the fertility problems um, and it's not a correlation with sugar. You know, that's actually a sugar thing's actually come down a bit and the right. corn syrup has replaced it. Um, so, I, yeah, I just think people need to get a bigger perspective on things and not get caught up in oh, my God, right now magazines are telling me I need to eat goji berries and I need to get agave, and it's like, hang on a second. Does this make sense? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's because the same thing as you were saying that people look at uh, you know the the kind of the what's in front of them first, like what's on a plate, and then they try to figure out what they should eat. And it's the th- same things are happening with doctors. You know, doctors are looking at okay, LDL should be lower. Why should be lower? I don't know, but that's what we're told. Cholesterol should be lower, so that means that we should eat things that make it lower. And what things make it lower? Vegetable oils. Okay, so we should probably be eating those. Whereas looking at it, you know, the opposite way would probably be a much help, but that's not the current state of things. I mean, cholesterol as a whole. Our long conversation itself, but you know, yeah. <laughs> as you age, cholesterol is probably one of the most protective antioxidants that we can manufacture. And there's reasons our body might be producing too much, and you've got to question those reasons first. And go, why is inflammation high first and foremost? It's not about stripping out cholesterol; it's a bad guy. Um, you know, saying that that cholesterol is a bad guy is a bit like saying that there's always fires, and wherever I see fires, I see firemen. So the firemen must be bad because they correlate. <laughs> like, no, 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 they're going to the scene to put out the fire. Don't right. blame firemen. Why the fire's being <laughs> don't yeah. take five minutes. It's the worst thing you can do. Um, but yeah, it's it's the not I, I think we need to question everyone on everything. Even with my clients, you know, my, my consults are at minimum ninety minutes of time and I'm always waffling on and then sending more reading and I just want them to know the topics so well for themselves. Um, mm-hmm. but even with the information I give, I send my clients, I won't if you read something I've presented to you and it just doesn't make 100% sense to you, ask me, ask me more. I want you to, you know, have that clarity. Same being if you go to that doctor or that specialist or that naturopath, anyone, if they say, oh, you need to eat this, you've got to go, okay, cool. So exactly how is that helping me? Tell me why and how. Um, Or you need to take that medication or that herb or that whatnot. Um, Ask them exactly, you know, how is it going to help them? What are potential, you know, side effects of that or Mm. All those things, and if you don't get an answer that you feel 100% clear about and good about, mm-hmm. you know, go, okay, cool, leave that with me. I'll look into that further or, no, I'll leave that for now. Um, we've we stopped questioning so much, I think. It's just a given. Well, we're not encouraged to question either, yeah. right? It's like has the authority, listen to what we're told and, you know, don't question things. Why would you want to do that? We, we know better, you know. And also if you're yeah. questioning things, you're probably a conspiracy theorist and you probably think the earth is flat oh, yeah. and, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. You're not meant to question, are you? You just gotta. Yeah, we're definitely not encouraged. So when you switched over, like from your diet, you know, from you said, so you kind of became obsessed pretty quick with the repeat stuff and switched over. I mean, did you have some things get better? Did you notice anything drastically improving? Within weeks, I reckon. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my my cycle regulated. My muscles just kind of filled out. sleeping yeah so so instantaneous and then I started applying 
this very common sense approach with clients. And so quickly, after probably 10 years of consulting and, you know, you give people the information that they feel good about because it fits with the narrative of, oh, yeah, she's telling me to eat more veggies and take my hair. Yeah, okay, well, I heard they're good, so she must be a good practitioner, so I feel good about the advice. But right. rarely would you have anyone coming back saying, oh, wow, I felt great. Like you just, all these one-off consults. Um, mm-hmm. But then very quickly I started shifting how I work with my clients and it was like overnight I started having clients coming back going, oh, my God, I've been in insomniac for 20 years and I'm suddenly sleeping. Or those 17 rounds of IVF didn't work and you just I'm pregnant. Um, I'm <laughs> so many awesome stories. And then they'd come back and say, oh, if that those few little shifts helped me so much, what else could I do? You know, what else could I, how else could I benefit? And it was just, it was so much more satisfying for me as a clinician. It was so much more satisfying for my clients. It was mm-hmm. it's so exciting. Um, and sometimes it's the simplest substances that are already in your pantry or should be, um, you know, addressing, you know, keeping your blood sugar levels steady and how to go about that. And, you know, little elements like salt, like salt is so underestimated and important. Just, it's not necessarily the overpriced, mm-hmm. really. You know, just basic you know, stuff that people have been consuming for 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 many years, and and um, you know, and you brought up kids, and it's like, um, I, I think you you know, you're one of those, um, you're one of the repeat followers. That I don't know if if anybody else has kids out there, but I think you're one of the few that has kids, you know. And um, so, how was were you sort of following the repeat lifestyle when you got when you had a, when you got pregnant? Yeah, I'm so glad I did previous to pregnancy. Or well, I tried to think. Um, <laughs> but I, I think what Ray really instills in, if you really get into his articles, and, and I, I bounce off him a lot, I'll send him emails and, you know, prayer around topics with him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's so generous with his time. But, he'll, you know, he's never, it's like when people say, oh, I follow a repeat diet. First you've got to go, do you? Because he's never written a diet. So what? What interpretation of his diet have you made up? Or they might say, I tried the Ray Peep diet, it didn't work for me. It's like, well, what made you interpret it? <laughs> but all he's sort of ever said is eat in a way that improves your metabolic rate. And that's for you to decipher and you to fiddle with and you to experiment mm-hmm. with too. Um, but it's just that use your common sense, tap back in, work it out with yourself, all of that and that intuitive side of things. So then having kids, I think I decided early on, that I wasn't going to read the baby books and the parenting books and whatnot because I could see that someone else's opinion is going to infiltrate, you know, the, the rules. Um, I just wanted to get to know my baby and let them tell me what they needed and we'd figure it out. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I was lucky I was able to, you know, breastfeed for quite a long time so I wasn't hell-bent on quick get the solids in because I knew they were getting so much. But, like, they'd start to choose things off my plate and steal from my dinner. Um, and the things <laughs> that were were things that you go, wow, they know, and they're not affected by the marketing and the rules and the diet books and instinctively what a little human is grabbing for. It was so fascinating mm-hmm. to watch. So, and when, when you were pregnant, I mean, did you have craving? You know, because a lot of women have crazy cravings and they're always discouraged, you know, don't eat ice cream, you know, even though if, you know, my, you know, everybody's generation before ours was like everybody exactly. ate ice cream everybody had some good good steaks and fat in there and all kinds of just normal exactly. foods and i mean nobody turned nobody came out with two heads you know what i mean uh, but now yeah, everybody yeah. is i meet so many women i mean i know a woman now even she's you know pregnant and she just wants to eat you know green juices all day sugar is the devil don't eat any meat 
um, chicken and turkey every day kind of thing. So it's, yeah. it's really tough. Yeah, it's really tough to change people's opinions. And then it's like, and I tried to, when I went into the whole pregnancy phase and I was obviously had an obstetrician and whatnot, um, I tried to kind of step back from it all and I to observe what, all other women are going through during the pregnancy process in this day and age, and you really are treated like you're a sick person and you've got to be <laughs> tested and scanned and whatnot. And I remember my mum even at the time going, wow, they require you to go in constantly, don't they, and whatnot. She goes, in my day we just got pregnant and then you either stay pregnant or you didn't and you might be <laughs> at the end and you had a baby. Um, whereas now the analysis, is, that adds to the stress if you've already just got a disposition to anxiety. It's not yeah. I don't think Yeah, that's but a good they, one. You know, the food you're not allowed to touch now that you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. And it was rare meats and liver and oysters and um, unprocessed dairy. And, and you kind of go, hang on, that's all the best stuff right there. Um, <laughs> so did you have any, 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 any specific cravings when you were pregnant? Yeah. Some stuff like that? So my daughter, my first one, that was, she was a gelati ice cream milkshake cheesecake baby. <laughs> and you look back and go, wow, I did need probably need a hell of a lot of protein, uh, sorry, particularly calcium too, but, yeah. you know, I went with it. <laughs> um, second one, my son was probably more salt and protein, Thai food. Yeah, that was him. He was more savory baby. But okay. <laughs> okay, okay, so those are the things you were eating. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, w- I would just go with my cravings and I'd get the best versions of everything, but... You know, I, I think I acknowledge that, wow, my cravings through this, uh, my body not being a pathetic, needy female who has no willpower, <laughs> I saw it. Perhaps my really intelligent organism and my little incredible little human inside me is sending out intelligent signals that I need to address. And I, you know, and I must say, and look, maybe this is me personally, but apart from my baby weight and the placenta and what it, not, not, I didn't put on an inch, like it was just, I stayed me, mm. this extremely large baby for my size, but um, yeah, I don't think that, that whole phobia of, oh, I'm going to overeat because I'm going to put on the baby weight and then more weight, I'm not going to get to lose it. Yeah, but. well, it feeds in again with that, you know, stereotypical kind of narcissistic age that we live in, you know, where people are so obsessed. You know, I, I mean, if I meet somebody and I'm like, if, you know, it's like, if you want to feel, if somebody tells me I, I need to feel better and I need to put on 10 pounds, I'm just like, put on 10 pounds, whatever, man. If you feel better with 10 pounds on, put them on. You can always get leaner later, right? You can always just go back to eating nothing, but at least you'll feel good for a while. I mean, it's, well, yeah, we're, we're definitely like indoctrinated into like skinny oh. equals healthy. And like, if you're a little fat, unhealthy, you know, it's really, well, this is it. And I still did that and didn't get fat in the slightest. And I, I, I think if anything, particularly postpartum or once I had my babies mm-hmm. and I got to learn that, I mean, your requirement for calories, for all minerals, vitamins, energy, protein, everything goes up exponentially when you're breastfeeding, even more than pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Whereas in our society, you spit out a baby and you pick up a women's magazine and it says how to lose the baby belly, how to lose the baby weight, post-baby <laughs> dieting. Right. This is the most fundamental time to eat eating more food, not less food. So then you've got these women who apparently postnatal depression is just going on the up and up and we all need antidepressants. Like, no, we don't. We probably just need more fuel, more rest. We need to be living back in the village where all the aunts and cousins and everyone held the baby and helped the mum recover. Instead, mum goes home thinking, I've got to keep the house nice. I've got to run my business on the side. I've got to feed the family. And I've got to stay up through the night with my baby. 
you know, all the pressure, yeah, all the bit of diet. It's yeah. just so and you have Gwyneth Paltrow selling you something that you got to buy because, you know, Gwyneth knows best and blah, 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 you know. <laughs> that high-intensity exercise <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like you were saying, like kids are just not kind of intuitively, you know, guide themselves to what they want. I mean, you know, I've worked with clients that, you know, force their, their kids to eat, you know, broccoli and um, green beans and they just fucking hate broccoli and green beans. I mean, of course, there's that other side to it, right? Where it's like, you don't want to be, you know, I guess you can't let your kids do whatever they want, right? Because you do that and still some sort of, um, you, you know, rigidity with them, right? Um, but how, how much do you let your kids guide themselves, you know? Yeah, that's it. I, I, that's the thing. Um Usually they can make really good intuitive choices based on the options that you provide for them being pretty good spectrum of stuff to begin with. I mean, if their options in their cupboard are just packet chips and lollies and frozen food, well, I mean, they can only make options based, you know, choices based on the options provided. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I might be seen as a bad mum in some circles, but my kids don't, I don't think they've ever eaten broccoli. I mean, sorry, you're yeah, terrible, Emma. How could you? The most really, nutritious food in the world. I know, I know. Especially al dente, crunchy, indigestible broccoli. Shit. <laughs> food. But I just, you kind of go, well, hang on. What are you trying to provide for them in the broccoli? You go, mm, okay, so phytonutrients. That just means a plant-based nutrient. But my kids, when they were tiny, I, I wanted them to have a taste for things like liver. I wanted it to be familiar in their palate because I didn't grow up with it, and I find it hard sometimes to. Mm. get it down mm. um so I want it to be in their childhood and I would cut up the liver I remember one day I was gonna prepare it like I would for myself and my husband and you know put in the herbs and the young in and sweeten it up and mm -hmm. you know mask the flavor <laughs> and he was really hungry just when I want it now and I so I gave him some little bits of brown liver with nothing on it she just cooked in some butter he inhaled it and asked for more and then from that day onwards both my babies you can give them a plate of horrible little bits of brown liver and they, they just couldn't get enough and that mm -hmm. always asked for more and I was amazed I would gag eating it that way <laughs> yeah I think growing up with it has something to do with it because the same thing in Russia we grew up with like eating cow tongue and liver it's kind of normal thing we call it pashtet but whereas Americans don't really do that I don't think Aussies also eat too much liver stuff like that like our ancestors even in Australia they would have gone to the butcher they wouldn't have just bought the lean fillet steak and the chicken breast they were buying the whole joints with all the incredible collagen intact. They were always buying some offal because you don't waste things, particularly through the war times and whatnot. They were exposed to that full spectrum of amino acids and nutrients. And now you just go and get your little trim, little nice little neat cutlet and all the good bits are taken off it. Yeah. Um, so it's we're really devoid of those kind of nutrients that you just don't get from other foods. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, how much? Just, what else do you feed your kids? I mean, how, how do you let um, them... I must say they got to a point, I reckon they were maybe pushing four. One day it was like a flick of a switch. They kind of went, no, nah, we don't like this anymore. And I was like, oh, no. But <laughs> through those little years, they had a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Perhaps I'll come back to it. But, you know, do you have kids? I don't. I don't. No. Okay. But you'll get to learn, you know, you go into it thinking, my kids will do this and I'll never succumb to that. And right. It's going to be like this. <laughs> and then one day they get their own opinion and you're like, you can't force it. So... Um, but now, gosh, they have, you know, I, I do have to admit, first thing in the morning, my five and my seven-year-old, they'll get up and the first thing they say is, Mom, where's my coffee? Ah. <laughs> and I do like a little half-shot espresso, a lot of milk, some sugar or honey, 
and they just they love it. Yeah. But you look at how coffee, good quality coffee, is so incredible for their lung development. It's so incredible for magnesium. It's got so many anti-inflammatory compounds. It's pretty spectacular stuff. Mm-hmm. Other parents might go, oh, kids don't allow coffee. But I think back to how my father grew up in the village in Greece. Yeah. And they'd make the coffee. They'd have that strong Turkish coffee, you know, the intense stuff. And they'd yeah, dip yeah, their yeah. biscuit in it and whatnot. You just let the beans sit in there. Yeah. Up, always have a little coffee with some milk and sugar. And it's just culturally it is done, whereas our society tends to think there are rules and anything beyond that is bad and you kind of, you've got to look to other cultures and what has been done and maybe these things aren't so bad. Perhaps they're even quite good. Um, but, yeah, look, we'll do, particularly through all this lockdown craziness, you know, I did get into the sourdough thing, which everyone else did, which I'd never really done before. And, and, oh, nice. You know, in the okay. house, but it's always, occasionally it's homemade, but it's always very good quality sourdough because that's the way that wheat is better ingested. You know, you partially mm-hmm. break down the starches and you, you know, pre-digest the gluten somewhat. Um, makes a lot of sense. So mm-hmm. the bread that we butter will do cheese sandwiches with really good quality cheeses um they'll have milkshakes and fruit smoothies there's plenty of fruit oils going mm-hmm. orange mm-hmm. juice on tap um Ooh, you know, just, sounds yeah. like you just let your kids kind of eat food that tastes good huh <laughs> it, which is very you know very that's that's high science diet right there you know they'll have biscuits and things but we'll we'll make them and we'll make um meringues and fudge and and, and kids requirement for sugar is huge mm-hmm. i mean their brain growth is exponential and the brain requires glucose a hell of a lot of it and the, the kids that i see you know you might observe them down the street or you know your friendship circle the ones who are having the meltdowns that is a hypoglycemic crash and it's not that you know people say oh don't feed sugar to kids because they'll go hyper yeah well i think probably it's the other crap that's in that processed sweet food i don't think it's the sugar itself but i think it's when People have those meltdowns when their blood sugar is down and they can't handle the stress and they're, yeah. they're struggling. Yeah. Um, my kids have sugars in good forms on tap through the day and I have to say, touch wood, I mean, they're, they're good kids. They're, they're smart, <laughs> they're steady, they're, you know, we, we don't have any issues and they would have a lot more sugar than most kids yeah, are allowed. Yeah, yeah. How, how much, how many of the, you know, because that's funny, I, I had a girlfriend that, um, you know, was babysitting a kid, and it was the same thing. The mother would discourage from her, her from, from giving her, you know, sugar or fruit. It would just be sort of a treat thing. But every time the baby would go crazy, I would just say, "Hey, just give her some fruit, or give her some, you know, literally make a smoothie." And every time that she gave her some smooth, you know, a smoothie or some sugar, the baby was quiet right after that. <laughs> I mean, how much, how often do you think that happens with parents that they're just not connecting the dots that maybe the kid just needs some food and you know it's not a crazy baby it's not you know just going wild on you and just wants to ruin everything maybe it just wants some food you know that tastes good it's not broccoli and beans. Any coincidence that I, I, I don't think the body <clears throat> responds you know whether it be symptoms whether it be cravings whether it be a meltdown I don't think things just sort of happen with no reason behind it i think yeah that yeah that, that's a that's a big thing right there i think that 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 really i, I think that statement right there separates a lot of 
people's beliefs because I think usually people fall into one camp or the other. I think people usually just think that uh, depression, anxiety is just like something that you just go through and it's just, it's just, it's just there. It's normal. And then there's other people that maybe think like, oh, well, you know, maybe your body affects your mind and vice versa. You know what I mean? Of course, it's like, I think if you think negatively all day long and think bad thoughts, of course, it's probably going to affect your body. But I think nobody pays attention to when, when it's the other way around. You know, like if your mind, if your mind is living inside this toxic body that maybe you're just giving it the wrong fuel and you're not eating all day and you're stressed out, I mean, don't you think this this toxic body is going to affect the way you think too. I mean, we're not really talk. We don't, nobody really talks that talk, you know, nobody talks about that. Well, I think a lot of practitioners talk holistically, mind, body is connected, but then the way they practice isn't necessarily really, really believing that. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. If you're reading to Dr. Peter's work too, he's very big on sort of this bioenergetic point of view. And it is like energy and structure is completely independent. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's so, it's like recently I had a client who came to me and she said, look, I'm, I'm working with this naturopath on my gut and it's okay, we're doing this probiotics and this gut biome thing and this whole thing, but I just want to come to you to help me with my hormonal issues and my fertility issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's working on my gut, that's good, we don't need to do gut stuff, but could you just fix my, my hormonal issues? And I was like, if she's really working for you and that's really working for you, you won't have hormonal issues. I mean, most of it stems from that advice. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm yeah. not going to come in. I'm just like, well, okay, you continue what you're doing, which obviously isn't working for you because you've got these other symptoms. Yeah, and then I'll come yeah. in and just fix this separately. It, that, that's not – if that's addressed correctly. Yeah. It, it goes back to that little bit of that kind of suffering thing that we're all innately also taught that it's good. You know, like if you suffer through it and you – get through it you get through you push through that anxiety and depression you'll come out the other end and everything will be all right and usually it never happens usually those people just go down a a deeper hole right and then maybe they come out of it just thinking well fuck it you know i'm just gonna give up and just you know let life roll on i'm doing my diet my diet's perfect because i'm following my paleo diet and i'm doing it right i love my diet so i don't want to change my food but i just want to know what could i do or what could i take to fix my anxiety issues you know what? When you're constantly hyperglycemic and you're low thyroid, um, that tends towards anxiety, mm-hmm. those kind of mood and you know related disorders. So it's like perhaps you've just got chronic low blood sugar and you're in this massively high cortisol state. Yeah, but we're not taught that. You know, we're all taught again that it's all in your head. I mean, oh, as, as soon as there's some problem, and you know, if your cholesterol is good, oh, it's in your head. You know, you have, you know, because now that new word, right, mental health, right? Because nobody used yeah. to say mental health 20 years ago, right? Who the? F- Do you remember your grandparents saying mental health? I mean, they would just say like, "I'm tired, my head hurts, I'm I'm just a little bit sad, I want to relax." Maybe I need- what I'm doing, have a nap, and yeah, have food. yeah. Now it's like it's like the sacred word, right? It's, it's becoming this, you know. If you say the word mental health, and people have it on their, you know, Instagram profiles, mental health advocate, you know, <laughs> you know, and it's just like it's a sacred thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> oh, this is, and you know what? I this is what I love, especially when I can find. You know what? I think the kinds of clients who come to me. They've already been there, done that, tried that, learned the hard way. If they're ready, if they're open to my kind of ideas, which means eat more food, eat the sugar, scramble some eggs, you know, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Normally, they've already tried that and they've realized that doesn't, you know, that they've had to figure that out. So they're pretty open to listening. But 
you end up having these awesome conversations where you start to, I know, it's so refreshing when you look back at the whole picture of the health world and all these different specialists who work in isolation, they don't work together, mm -hmm. um, and all these different ways of coming at things, which that address that, but it doesn't address him. And they can start to go, oh, my God, I'm just, I've wasted so much time doing this and taking this. And they've come to me, they're taking 27 supplements they've been put on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if they're maybe they're actually doing you a disservice. And when they just fix the really the real basics, the core fundamentals of just eating enough food, right food, mm -hmm. digestible mm -hmm. food, like that word digestible is a myth. In mm -hmm. the diet culture, they don't prioritize digestibility of food. They just go, well, this one contains a lot of nutrients and they're all good phytonutrients. It's like, yeah, but are they digestible? If they're not digestible, what's the point? Um, yeah. The common sense yeah. stuff, I just, you know, just coming from my background too and, and everything I've explored, it's so enlightening to come out the other end and going, oh, my God, the simplicity of it all and that perspective is just, mm -hmm. it's really mm -hmm. nice to have because when you're in it, it's so confusing and frustrating and you're always struggling right i mean how, how do you get people to think about stuff you know how do you get them started on digestible food i mean again because people eat all kinds of things they say that they do they're doing great they feel great and yet again if you're on the sidelines you watch them and you're like no you're not <laughs> well, you're, you're only shitting every three days and you're constantly bloated and you're getting reflux but no my food's healthy okay? yeah yeah through what's you know, but I think, like I was saying, it's sort of they've already um, hit such a wall with the diets they had been doing. They're mm. really open to me going, can you see how that food wasn't working for you? And they're like, yeah, I can already see that. And then when I provide them with quite contrary information, mm -hmm. they just kind mm -hmm. of sit there nodding like, yeah, that makes sense. And it's not because what I've told them is so profound. I mean, I'm just kind of the conduit of information I've found too. Mm. Um it's that what I'm saying is resonating with something that's already in them and that they, they already knew deep down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. From their grandmother. And they just kind of go, yeah, I already knew that. Yeah, that already made – yeah, that just – and it's just this all this nodding. <laughs> yeah. sort of, do you think, do you think it kind of goes back to just maybe being, you know, just the whole even repeat – you know philosophy does it kind of just go back to just kind of being a kid again in a way you know just yeah. enjoying yourself enjoying food like not oh, letting yes. it be a thing where you're constantly monitoring it right and you're like oh my god i ate ice cream today i'm gonna be fucking fat oh my god emma i'm gonna be so fat tomorrow you know it's just like i mean i think it really just boils down to just that right so nice and it's getting to that point where you're you're eating to live not living to eat you know, your whole day isn't circled around, I've got to monitor my carbs and I've got to check on this and I've got to like that's that's for me, that's not quality of life. Like yeah. that's not a way to live. I want to be able to travel, explore different cuisines, whatever, and not go, excuse me, is that good to do? I, I want <laughs> to get to a point where your metabolism's so strong, your digestion is so robust that you can eat the occasional things that you couldn't have touched before and your body's like it's like water off a duck's back, your body can deal with it. Um, you know, obviously there's things you want to emphasize and get more of and foods you don't want to eat so many of, but you should be able to waver a little bit. You should be more resilient. Um, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I think the fixation on it, that becomes another stress. And I think we want to get to a point where you're eating the kinds of food that don't add unnecessary stress on the body, whether it be that it's aggravating your gut wall and it's it's fueling bacteria and endotoxin and it's that those are creating 
biochemical stresses, yeah. but also that mental stress of going, I'm so stressed about my food being perfect. Well, that's just more stress. Yeah, so, people are just getting numb now. because yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you work with so many clients, and if there's just one thing, you know, what, what is it that you're constantly seeing that people are just, you know, not doing right, or you can just write a simple, simple recommendation that you can tell them, like, hey, just do this or don't do this. I mean, what are some common yeah. mistakes that you're seeing? Um, I think, well, common issues I'm seeing, uh, most of my clients are women, whether mm -hmm. it be women are more predominantly fascinated by, you know, overanalyzing their diet than men are, or whether I'm, I know, women are drawn to me because I'm a woman and because I have kids and mums <laughs> want to themselves. But mostly women, but I'm seeing this systemic kind of subclinical hypothyroidism, like their body temperatures and pulse are just suboptimum. Mm -hmm. Then there's this coldness, there's this puffiness, um, and all the other things that come with it. Infertility is just just on the up, yeah. you know. Yeah. Women who've been yeah. in the field for 5, 10, 20 years nonstop, um, suddenly they get you know married and they're like, oh, we want to have a kid, which is not working for us. And this is so <laughs> so common that it's almost seen as normal that it should be a struggle our, our mothers went they just uh -huh. you know tried to have a baby had a baby there wasn't this constant conversation of like what are you trying what are you doing and um right so it's a, a constant problem but i think the, for the most part total calories you know in general uh, or tend to be on the low side with females um mm -hmm. so getting them to eat more Definitely there's a reluctancy around carbohydrates. I think they've done a really good job at making us terrified of them. But then having them really learn the difference between certain carbohydrates, some are very what we sort of call pro-metabolic and some really stifle digestion and encourage fat storage. Mm -hmm. um, if people want to go on my, on my blog, probably my most shared article is the one called um, defending fruit and other non-complex carbohydrates, but it sort of breaks down the difference between, say, starch and the simpler sugars and how these ones are actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great article. So basically what you're saying, you know, the better choice for carbohydrates would probably be fresh, ripe fruits, yeah? Fresh, ripe fruits, orange juice, honey, maple syrup, and even, dare I say it, mm -hmm. cane sugar. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we're all taught backwards, you know, it's all taught backwards. Yeah. And there's so much fear around certain things, but it's like, it is, it's, if you hear a woman say, I'm cutting carbs, if you generalize about carbs, you don't understand carbs because mm -hmm. there are different kinds of carbs that work very differently within the body. Um, and understanding there are better carbs, there are useful carbs, there are, you know, energizing carbs. Um, <clears throat> so getting them to understand the ones that are going to serve them better. Protein, most women are under eating protein. Yeah. Um, exploring the different kinds of proteins, we've sort of got trapped in protein just means chicken breast and canned tuna. It's like, yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of other proteins which provide really incredible amino acids which are very anti-inflammatory to offset the ones in the muscle meat. Um, yeah, so all of that, but I think bringing it back to the simplicity, having them look at the foods that you notice when you eat that, that instills that bloating in you quite quickly. Hmm, mm -hmm, okay, maybe mm -hmm. we'll move that out for now and swap it with something else. Let's observe if you ate that food instead. Does your you know stomach stay content and things seem to move? Um, definitely addressing what's coming out the other end, making mm -hmm, sure we get mm -hmm. that amped up. Yeah, because a lot of women, they just don't eat, honestly. I know so many women that their dinner is a pickle. 
literally and they just go to sleep you know what i mean and again they're skinny they um they look good maybe you know but they certainly don't feel good and it's kind of hard to again because then that you're kind of touching that mental health I issue if you try to try to even bring up something like hey maybe i maybe if you eat like just try it just have an ice cream like you literally feel better Like, you know what I mean? I mean, don't you think there's a reason that when you're having a shitty day, you just want to go home and just eat some ice cream and just watch a movie or whatever? Like, is, we're not, yeah, we're very much discouraged to talk about those sort of things nowadays. And there's no enjoyment. And this is, this is another thing. I think the things that are being touted is the, the most healthy of the health foods. Um, and if you're eating a healthy diet, there's no mention of deliciousness mm -hmm. and flavor and taste and the importance of that. If you're going to get the best from your food, you have to find it so delicious to you personally because that in itself encourages the best digestion. You know, if you're if you're cooking something, you've got dinner on the stove and you can smell it and the smell of it is so good. It's your favorite dish, whatever that may be. And you start salivating, just getting excited about dinner. That mm -hmm. saliva being secreted is starting to produce enzymes that you require to break down food. So you've got your salivary amylase particularly, which without that you can't break down starches. Um, And just by that being triggered, triggers your stomach acid production to start to kick in. So you'll have, you know, a chance of breaking down the protein. That encourages the enzymes in your small intestine to start secreting. You need your enzymes and so you're not going to break down nutrients and absorb them. Um, and then your peristalsis at the other end to kick out what's left from the last meal. Mm -hmm. So the whole mm -hmm. process kicks in. If, like if I was to say to you after this, well, you know, if we could, if I was allowed to travel out of Melbourne, <laughs> um, <laughs> And we'll go down the street and we'll get, I don't know, what's your favorite food? Ice cream. We'll <laughs> have ice cream. And you're like, awesome, cool. Okay, pick your favorite flavor. You're so excited Vanilla. to eat it. Yeah. <laughs> If, on the other hand, I said, no, 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 we'll go down to the street to that new vegan joint. I'm going to order you a brown rice bowl with, filled with tofu and mm, a raw salad. Sounds delicious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's happened to the saliva? It's like, <laughs> everything's And, I mean, you've got to consider that your digestive process is kind of halted just by the thought of it you can put that in i don't care how organic and yeah. clean it is it's just kind of sit there like a rock in your stomach right but i think again people women are doing that because they can eat that one brown rice ball and then they don't have to eat the whole fucking day you know and they they, they don't eat that many calories so they're skinny and that lasts for some time until again they, they, they hit that wall Yeah, yeah. I mean, have you worked with some woman that kind of gained some weight and then and then lose it back down when they get their metabolism going again? Oh, well, this is the thing. And when you only provide your body with so much over a long period of time, mm -hmm. your body adjusts to what you give it. So you're only going to give it so much fuel. So the body kind of downregulates and goes, all right, so metabolic rate is going to sit down here because you're only providing me so much energy. So this is where we sit now. And mm -hmm. then they try and eat beyond, you know, a thousand calories. And they wonder why they might put on weight quickly. It's like, well, the maths doesn't equate. You've pushed your metabolic rate down here. You try and go on a few extra calories and you can't seem to go there without putting on weight. Mm -hmm. So you've got to mm -hmm. come at it as not necessarily upping the total calories overnight, but shifting the quality of those calories, you know, make them more efficient foods, make them more energizing, metabolic supportive. And over time, you can increase the calories as your metabolic rate increases with it right. until you get working like it you know, final machine where metabolic rate is up here and you actually require more calories to keep it there um, yeah. and better quality calories and you can eat more, feel better, mm -hmm. win-win, 
It's like, it's like we all know that girl or guy that could just eat McDonald's and whatever, and they're always lean, they always look good. And I think the general idea is like, you should strive to be that, right? Not eat those sort of foods, yeah. I guess, but just eat yeah. food. And like you said, and you're not going to be like, oh, I ate too much ice cream today. It's just like, whatever. You're burning, you're moving around, you're doing your thing. Yeah, and look, given it's also the calorie of the food you choose, so, you know, ice creams become associated as being a junk food or a treat food only because it started being produced that way. You know, you look at what's in a store-bought ice cream and it's full of, you know, uh, very low, you know, secondary quality ingredients. And there's a lot of gums and emulsifiers and crap, which... And carrogenine and all those shits, you know. There's so much crap in there. Whereas old-fashioned ice cream, maybe old-fashioned weight, there was milk, there was egg yolks, there was some cream, there was some, you know, sugar, there was maybe fruits or espresso or, I don't know, whatever you put in there. But fundamentally, when you look at old-fashioned, really good quality ice cream and you break it down, what it's going to provide you, it is incredible. You know, it's a meal in itself. I did an article on my blog about ice cream and how when it is made true to traditional methods, it's such a food. And it makes sense to have it at night before bed. Because it's got all the constituents that knock out stress yeah. and provides the energy to induce that level of calm, um, provides the calcium, which is so um, stress relieving, provides uh, protein, sugars, fats. It's got everything. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it makes sense that you have a bowl of good quality ice cream and then you just knocked out. Eat more ice cream, kids. <laughs> ice cream. But, you know, again, you know, be sure it's good quality. If not, you know, buy a simple ice cream churner and. I make a really simple ice cream. My recipes on my blog, but it, mm-hmm. I mean, you can make it whatever way you like. But it doesn't have to be 100% cream either. You know, good quality, like more of it, like a gelato. Good lower fat, yeah, like a gelato. Okay, nice. You emulsify them correctly. That fluffs up. You don't need just a hell of a lot of fat. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's definitely quality. But then then on top of that, it's delicious. So mm-hmm. you're gonna really break it down correctly you're going to get the best it's just real food ingredients right it's just normal real food right cream ice cream i mean milk what you're asking about kids and food and people get quite stressed what should i feed my kid i know my kid should be eating healthier but how do i get them to eat healthy food well if you have the right healthy food you don't have to convince them yeah like my kids eat ice cream every day they eat hot chocolate every day they eat coffee every day they eat toasted cheese sandwiches every day um yeah you know but they also nibble on carrot sticks and whatever fruits going yeah now that cake that you buy at that at that like store that has like all those additives and all all that icing and all kinds of shit in it that's probably not the type of sugar you should be feeding it right again we're just not taught to separate like you know normal quality sugar treats you know like whatever custards puddings stuff like that too you know because people just eat like donut that's you know don't forget like that donut is fried in all kinds of vegetables oils and it again has the gums to make it all you know um squishy and all that so yeah Yeah. so besides ray i mean these days any other you know heroes of yours or things that you look at or is it more of an approach to where you now look at the physiology as a whole and read about those sort of things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And just always being cautious of, you know, the claims you make, what is it based on, you know, and people just throw out claims willy-nilly, you know, what is good, what's bad, that's bad food, good food. Um, You know, coming at it, I think when you get to kind of a level of knowledge with, digestion first and foremost everything just kind of falls into place even with um you look at people who are i don't know 30s and 40s and they've got 
serious gut issues, their digestion um, suboptimal, their bowels have slowed, they've got all these food intolerances. So you kind of assess that, okay, well, obviously there's some a level of damage there to the intestinal wall and there's inflammatory responses going on. I would approach that person with their slightly damaged older gut to the same being to say for a 10-month-old child who's exploring their first solid foods hmm. with a very immature gut. So whether it's immature and still delicate or older and damaged and delicate, you go, okay, well, what would you feed that baby who might not have all their teeth, um, you know, their gut is still super delicate, we don't want to damage it. Would you feed them a bowl of, you know, like a hard-crunchy muesli bar and, <laughs> yeah, like like a, a tuna salad? You probably wouldn't. You'd feed them a Quinoa. It's Peruvians fruit. ate it, Emma. They're, oh, okay. they're healthy fruit. Peruvians, That's I'm really telling you. The Incas yeah, yeah. in Peru ate it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which actually in South America, don't they feed it to their pigs and they sell it <laughs> food and they laugh at the westerners going oh, uh, well yeah that's a westerner problem yeah oh my god how many of those foods every year right it's like oh the whatever you know fruit or the yeah <laughs> it's so I, I just i just sort of realized that those kind of baby foods mm -hmm. um like a soft casserole with falling apart meat and it's those those kinds of foods are so nutritious digestible and delicious to a baby mm. why wouldn't that person let's focus you on those kind of foods for you as well um, that's a great way of looking at it yeah so just what would you feed a small baby you know and what would you feel like a person who's really really sick and has terrible digestion and can't eat and jelly yeah. and ice cream i mean that makes sense do like real fruit juice and actual gelatin and homemade ice cream like yeah. incredible yeah. and it's such um it's literally healing food and that it requires little to no digestive effort. Like it just kind of melts going through that, mm. that sort of thing. You kind of go, oh, all right. Um, yeah, it's, it's, that's a great way of uh, looking at it. And I, um, yeah, it's a great way to, uh, end it too. I think <laughs> I got to run here. Um, that's no, that, I just, I love that advice, I think, because, and, and basically what you're trying to say is if when people do get, you know, healthier and stronger and get their digestion back, then they can probably eat their um, sourdough or whatever, right? And be much, much better with it. And that's probably the reason that kids can eat whatever the hell they want, right? And get, not, get away with it. Whereas adults think that all oh, that means, you know, I can't do that. And maybe that rather than just choosing a diet based on, um, you know, a food avoidance diet, you know, if you're super sensitive to things and like, as long as I avoid this incredibly long list of foods, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. You can't really go out and eat and you can't live because there's just only these many foods left. <laughs> I'd rather flip it and go, well, why don't we look at why your digestion is so impaired and maybe let's, again, get your thyroid better supported because your thyroid really rules the secretions in your gut and your peristalsis as well. Mm -hmm. um, so let's make the plan and the aim that over time you can eat all the foods again rather than just avoid forevermore and have no quality of life. Mm -hmm. um, do the things that get, you know, back to the root cause of your intolerances and your sensitivities and slowly over time explore what your body's, you know, Okay. Yeah, listen, maybe listen to your inner kid a little more, right? But eat real food. Eat real food. I mm -hmm. know. Mm. Well, but beautiful. Anxiety around it all. Yeah. Well, Emma, thank you so much for your time. Maybe we can do this again sometime. We can chat maybe about some thyroid stuff next time, a little deeper yeah, and intense. Yeah? Thanks yeah, for your really time. Yeah, really nice to meet you.
It's nice to meet you too. I love it. (laughs) You had a great time. Um, Yeah. Thank you. I'll uh, reach out to you a little later. Bye. Bye.